Wow. Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. The overwhelming love of God. Thanks, guys. I am so glad for the people who made a difference in my life, for the people who invested into my life. There's people like John Rayburn, John and Cecilia Rayburn that Becky and I made a video for this week and sent to them. Just celebrating a major milestone in their life and um, of 50, over 50 years of ministry and marriage. John, when he was a young man in his 20s, reached out to me and I was, you know, I was still a very sick, sick young man. John reached out to me when I was told that I couldn't go to camp and he says, nope, you're going to camp. I'll take care of you. He carried me around camp. It was such a model for me that I knew then that I wanted to be just like John. Now John was an all-star state champion football player, college draftee, young man that went into the ministry. But he poured into my life. I would never physically be like John, but John's heart and passion was poured into my life. People laughed, said that was something I could never do. But John encouraged me. He says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And one day, I did. When one of my heroes fell, John showed up because he knew how much I admired this person. Picked me up and he said, let's go talk. And I cried. I, matter of fact, I'm not a weeper, but I cried. I was just so disappointed. And John just poured into my, he made a difference. Taught me how to love, forgive. John Rayburn was a difference maker. John wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, he lost his driver's license while he was the state youth director. Too many speeding tickets. Never lost my license. Got close. Never lost them. John called my pastor and says, can I have Dennis for 30 days? They told me I can't drive for 30 days. And so I was John's personal chauffeur. And he poured into my life. We laughed, told stories. Matter of fact, in Los Angeles this summer, the general council, there were people that John had introduced me to as a young man that are still very good friends. And they saw Becky and I and called us over. And you got to know all these guys are like John. They were my heroes. They're big. They're muscular. They're all six foot plus. I look like a munchkin standing in the midst of the land of giants there. And, but I was so happy that John introduced them. A naval recruiter by the name of John King made a difference in my life. Because there were times when I would imbibe that spirit of you can't, you can't, you can't. I can't tell you how many times I heard that. You can't. And John King loved the Lord, poured into my life and says, you can do all things through Christ Jesus when strengthens you. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. Never encouraged me to be foolish, but it just encouraged me to have faith in Christ. I still have a letter that John and Eugenia wrote to me as a young Bible college student pouring into my life. Because when I first got there, the school didn't want me to come because of my health. 
And the academic dean told me I didn't belong. But I could keep hearing those words. Don't let anybody tell you can't. So we set some metrics. I sat outside at a place that we called the leper colony on campus one night and says, Lord, if you don't heal me, I can't stay. So it's not a matter that I'm not willing. It's just whenever you're ready. And God touched and did a miracle in my life that night. And the rest is history. There are people like Randall McCarty. When I was a timid preacher, Randall began to pour into my life about having confidence in the talents and the skills. Randall's one of the most powerful preachers, presenters of the gospel that I know. Randall pastored and shepherded country music stars that I admire. I got to meet people through Randall I would have never met. But Randall just took me under his wing. And there are people in your life that have made a difference in you. There was a counselor that I began to talk to at a certain point in my life where I realized I was bumping up against the ceiling. He says, have you ever heard of a man by the name of John Maxwell? And I said, no. He said, I want to introduce you to John. John invited me to Baltimore, Maryland. John spent a week with me in Baltimore, introduced me to a man that I had never heard of before, also by the name of Bill Hybels. And they began to pour into my life. I'm no John Rayburn. I'm no John King. I'm no Randall McCarty. I can't even remember the name of the counselor right now, but I'm not a John Maxwell or Bill Hybels. But I am who I am because of people like that that poured into my life and made a difference. And you are who you are because of the people that pour into your life. Now, Becky and I have always been aware and psychological studies demonstrate this. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So that's why it's important that you choose good friends and godly friends. That's why it's important that you choose people who are always pressing for more, not people that are giving up. A few minutes ago, I walked back to the kids' service. They were jumping and singing, and I just kind of stood in the back praying over them. Lord, don't ever let them lose this joy and enthusiasm. And while I was praying, the Lord says, if you don't want it to lose it, you go and jump with them. All right, God, I'm not dressed for that. I don't have the shoes for that. I really felt this, and I hope you don't take this lightly. God said, go jump with them. I wasn't an audible voice, just what I felt. If you want them to never lose this enthusiasm. So I got down there, and they're not playing the kind of music Becky's playing. We're doing this, and we're going like this, and we're going like this, and back and forth. And this little girl looks at me, and she puts, she goes, Really? And then all of a sudden, they're all around me, and we're jumping and dancing together, and I'm sweating like a stuck pig. 
But it was just that moment of just happiness and being together. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And it's not necessary that I jump or you jump, but I never want to lose that enthusiasm for the Lord. And when you're a child, when you're enthusiastic, you jump. When you're a child and you're going swimming, you go, can we go, can we go, can we go? When you're a child and you're going to Disney World, how much longer, how much longer? You just jump. That's what children do. I even got a gift this morning. And after church, we're going to eat it together. A little girl gave me a rainbow-colored strip of something. And she says, Pastor, this is unicorn poop. <laughs> I get a lot of gifts. Poop's not one I get often. <laughs> and I said, can I eat it? She goes, yeah. I said, will you help me eat it after church and take a picture? She goes, yeah. So right after church, you hurry up and shake my hand because I've got some unicorn poop to eat. But those are moments that you have. Sometimes that are just small little tiny moments in time where you can make a difference. Where you can take time and invest in somebody's life. And this morning I want to take you to a passage of scripture that I think are a lot of lessons for us to learn how we can make a difference. I'm going to talk about this morning making a difference. Next week I'm going to talk about how you and your life make a difference. And then we're going to wrap it up on Father's Day on how dads make a difference. And I think you can see after this morning, where we're going and why Father's Day is such a good day to land on this. But I want you to have a confidence this morning. As several people told me right after the service, the first service this morning, Pastor, I can do that. And you can do what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. And you can make a difference in other people's lives. So I want you to stand with me and we're going to read from the book of Acts this morning. It's a little bit lengthy, so if you get tired, you feel free to sit down. That's okay. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road. Not many people want to leave a place where God's doing great things and go to the desert. But that's what God told Philip to do. Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch, of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over, walk along beside the carriage. And Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And in his lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? 
So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Father, I thank you that everybody in this room, whether they realize it or not, they're making a difference. God, I want to be a difference maker. I, I want them to be difference makers. I want our church to be a difference maker. So I'm asking you in the next few minutes, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see we can do this. We can do this if we stop listening to the I can'ts. We can do this if we stop listening to the we can'ts. We can do this, Lord, because it's true. Greater is He, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us than He that's within the world. We can do this because we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. We can do this because you wouldn't have called us to do anything we can't do. We can do this, Lord, because you are a mountain-moving God. So in the next few minutes, show us how we can make a difference. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. And let's get started on this. Well, I've thought about our graduates as I prepared today and your parents. And I've also thought about all of us. And I'm thinking about Father's Day that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. What I've discovered in life is a truism is this, that God uses those who prepare themselves. God uses people who get ready to be used. God uses people who go out of their way to prepare themselves. As a matter of fact, opportunities abound to people who prepare themselves. Opportunities are always coming your way and coming my way. God will give you those opportunities if you just simply get ready. If you're a man or woman of prayer, if you're a young person of prayer, you become more aware of what God wants you to do in life. You become more aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit as you read His Word because when God prompts you, it will always be according to the Bible and not some weird or extra-biblical idea. Billy Graham was someone, you know that he's one of my heroes, that was always prepared. Larry Ross, who was, had a huge media consulting firm, eventually went to work for Billy Graham and he noticed that when... Billy was preparing for a TV interview, for a TV show like Good Morning America or any other news shows, that while they were doing the mic check, which they always do, they would do the mic check, Billy Graham would always quote John 3.16. Larry Ross says, well, all the executives and all the politicians and corporate heads that I work for, he says, nobody ever quoted a verse from the Bible. He says they would go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... They would say their ABCs. He said, I even knew one executive that he would always rehearse what he'd had for breakfast. But Mr. Graham always quoted John 3.16. He said, I asked him one day, Mr. Graham, why do you always quote John 3.16? He says, because if during the interview I never get the opportunity to talk about the gospel, if I never get the opportunity to share about Jesus, that at least I can be sure that the camera operators and the crew in the sound room 
They've heard the gospel because nothing is clearer than for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, Mr. Graham took the opportunities that were afforded to him. And so if we prepare ourselves, the opportunities come. And my problem in life and my challenge in life is probably the same one you face. It's not the lack of opportunity, but it's learning to recognize those opportunities that come our way. Because every one of us can talk about times in our lives when after the fact we've gone, oh, there was an open door. Oh, I wish that I had said this. Or, oh, I wish that I could have communicated this. We are really good when, to when it comes to 2020 eyesight when it's in the rearview mirror, right? We're really good to recognizing the past opportunities, the things that I want to be better at is learning how to recognize those opportunities that God brings my way today. So let me give you three ways that you can prepare. Number one, be where God wants you to be. That's what I call being physically prepared. Be where God wants you to be. You're in Down River or Brownstown or Flat Rock, Woodhaven, New Boston, wherever you live. You're here because this is where God wants you to be. You can't influence people unless you are living and working where God wants you to be. It's why the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and says, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so when the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip, he went. The second thing I want you to see is the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So Philip did. And the challenge that a lot of people have, I think, in life is when they know what God wants them to do, it's the actual going. And then the second problem is the actual doing. The Holy Spirit says, walk over there. God doesn't speak I should say it this way, seldom does God speak audibly. I've never heard anybody that's told me they've heard an audible voice from God. I've never met anybody that's heard an audible voice from God. But there are many of us that we've learned to recognize the voice of God inside of our hearts. And actually, I guess I just told you a, a lie. When I was working in mental health, I met all kinds of people who said that they heard God talking to them audibly. I even met a few people who said they were God. They were Jesus Christ. And that's why they were in the hospital. But this thing is that God does work inside of us and we have to learn to be responsive and recognize you are here not by an accident. If you're visiting Woodland Church today, you're here and it's not an accident that you're here. God wanted you to be here. God wants you to influence the people that you meet for Jesus. You're going to influence them. Listen to me. You are going to be an influence upon people. So you have to decide, do I want to influence them for Jesus or do I want to influence them for the Wolverines or the Spartans or if you're really godly, the Georgia Bulldogs in red and black? You know, do you want to influence people for Jesus Christ is the question you have to ask yourself. The second thing is be aware of who God wants you to invest in. That's what I call being spiritually prepared. It's just simply being aware of who's around you, who God is working in, who God is working on and joining in what God is doing. When Philip found himself on this desert place, walking along this highway, he heard this Ethiopian treasurer. Think of somebody like Steve Mnuchin. He would have been surrounded by armed guards. He would have been surrounded by servants that were covering him with a, an umbrella to protect him from the heat. The Ethiopians were a powerful people. The Ethiopians have a proud history, a great history. But this Ethiopian treasure whom Philip didn't know that would have been from the upper crust of society, this man who had proven himself 
Evidently because to have been a eunuch meant that he was probably watching over the harem of the king of Ethiopia and because he must have been a good administrator, he was promoted to the secretary of the treasurer. So Philip hears him reading and he runs over. He heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah and Philip just simply asked a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, what gave Philip this boldness was his love for Jesus, but also his love for lost people. I learned from John Maxwell a love for leadership because of what leadership means in people's lives to coalesce around a vision. I learned from Bill Hybels what it means to love lost people because lost people really matter to God. Philip evidently had both of these facts working in him, but he also had somebody who had invested in him and told him that with Christ all things are possible and even a humble Jewish man like Philip, if he will trust the Lord, he can run up into what in those days would have been an armed motorcade and say to the treasurer of Ethiopia, do you know what you're reading? And some of us were too bashful to even bow our heads and pray over our pizza in a restaurant because we're afraid of what somebody thinks. When you are full of the Holy Spirit, you're not worried about what people think. You want to please your Father which is in heaven. That matters more than anything else. And what pleases your Father in heaven is what He sent Jesus to do in that seeking and saving the lost. You see, God was already at work in the life of this treasurer. God was working in his life because this treasurer had left Ethiopia and he had traveled to Jerusalem because he had this hunger for God. He was what we would call a seeker. As he was writing back to Ethiopia, he's reading an Old Testament passage about God, but he doesn't understand what he's doing. But God is working in his life. And he meets Philip, a man who was spiritually ready to meet the Ethiopian treasurer. And so Philip just used this basically asked him a question. You have two types of friends in your life. You have friends that are not followers of Jesus. And there are people that I call the green fruit. They're the people they're not ready to hear yet. They're the people in my life that when I bring up the subject of Jesus, they get agitated. They get aggravated. They'll tell me, I don't want to talk about that. They'll say, listen, I, am, I love hanging out with you, but if you're going to bring up religion, I don't want to talk to you about that. And so I kind of back off because if you pull fruit before it's ready, you're going to lose the fruit and you're going to lose the branch as well. But then you have other friends like I have that they're more interested in talking to you about Christ. They're interested in talking to you about spiritual things. They may not be ready to give their hearts to Jesus, but they're open to conversation. They're open to talking to you. And our mistake is passionate for followers of Christ is trying to focus upon the green fruit rather than trusting the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts to continue that ripening process and bring them to the place that he bought the Ethiopian treasurer. What we must do is focus on those people in our lives. They want to engage with us. They want to talk to us. We cannot miss the opportunity because when the fields are white to harvest, you've got to gather the harvest or lose the harvest. You've got to gather it or lose it. And that's such an important point to remember in preparing yourself. Philip didn't miss his opportunity. And so my question for all of us this morning is who are the most receptive people in your life? In the years that I've lived in this community, I've seen people go from green fruit to ripe fruit. I've seen people go from aggravation to people who sought me out. 
I prayed with people at one time who have cussed at me and says, don't talk to me. I prayed with people who the last time I heard them was swearing at me and say, don't ever talk to me again. And then I'm the first person they wake up when they recover from a coma or from a heart attack and I'm sitting beside their bed praying for them. And then I want to tell you something, they're more ready to hear about Jesus than they've ever been at any other time in their lives. There's something about facing the issues of eternity that ripens our lives. You say, well, pastor, I don't know who those people are. Let me give you three letters, three words that start with the letter T that will help you. Who do you know that's intention? You might want to write that word down somewhere in your outline. Who do you know that's intention? They've got stress in their finances. They've got stress in their work. You see them at work. There's a stressful relationship between them and the boss. Or maybe they've talked about how they, they can't pay their bills. Or they've gone through a divorce and they're having trouble paying child support and alimony. Who do the people that you know that are in the transition stages of life. There's your second T word. These are the people that they're going through a transition. They've just moved into our community. They've just got a new marriage or got married for the first time. They've had a new baby in their life, maybe a new career. They're in a transition stage. Things aren't settled for them and they're more open to talking to you. And then the third T is people that are in trouble. Tension, Transition and trouble. These are the people that have lost their jobs. These are the people that have lost their marriage. These are the people that maybe they've lost a son or a daughter or they recently had a parent to die, but they're facing the issues of life. They've come to bear upon them. These are the people sometimes they've actually lost a home because of a foreclosure. Maybe they've not only lost their job, but now they've got to move and they don't know where they're going to. Tension, transition, and trouble. These are the people that you find Jesus reaching out to in the New Testament. The people who were secure, it's the reason that Jesus said the sick don't need a, need a physician. It's the reason that Jesus talked about the rich and the secure, that it was easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle because their security was in their riches or their security was in their knowledge or their security was in themselves. In other words, they were not at a point yet where many of the people, like the woman who was caught in adultery, where many of the people that he met, like the person who climbed Zacchaeus, who climbed up in a tree that everybody hated, when you're in tension, when you're in transition, when you're in trouble, and if you would think about it, many of us in this room came to know Jesus Christ, not when we were children, not when we were junior hires growing up in church, but we came to know Jesus when there was some tension, transition, or trouble in our lives. That's when people are ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say, why? It's because they realize at this point in life, I can't do this by myself. I need God. The third thing that you can do is be ready to share your faith anytime. And that's what I call being intellectually prepared. Just simply being ready to share your faith. When you're in the right place where God wants you to be, when you recognize the right people, the people God wants you to share with, and the third thing is just knowing what to do. So beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now, what I want you to notice is Peter didn't talk about prophetic literature. People didn't go into the, uh, Philip didn't go into the background of Isaiah. He didn't go into, was there one author, two authors, or three authors of Isaiah? He didn't go into the archaeology of Isaiah. He didn't go into the prophetic types of literature that I've taught you about on Wednesday nights as we've been working our way through the book of Revelation. He didn't go into any of that. He just simply took in transition to the good news about Jesus. He didn't talk about the political differences between Jerusalem and Ethiopia, which there were many, and he didn't talk about the history, which there was a long history 
there that dates all the way back to King Solomon. He didn't go into any of that. He simply went straight to the point about Jesus Christ. There are things that I don't write about on my blog, not because I'm not passionate about them, but my blog's purpose is simply to build people's faith, to encourage people to trust Christ, to help them understand about the Bible, to understand about biblical leadership principles. There are things that I'm passionate about I will never blog about because my main focus is Jesus Christ. Do you understand that this morning? Philip didn't get sidetracked. We are all about reaching lost people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? So let me give you five ways very quickly that you can prepare yourself. Any of you can do this. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, I can do this. Now, you don't even know what I'm going to tell you yet. But see, you just made a statement of faith. You were like John Rayburn. You were like John, uh, John King and Eugenia King who said to me, don't listen to the I can'ts. Listen to the I can's that I can do all things through Christ. Number one, your story. Number one, your story. When somebody asks me, Dennis, why are you a Christian? The first thing I do with them is share with them my story. I don't talk about my healing. I don't talk about growing up crippled. I talk about my bitterness. I talk about my anger. I talk about my disappointment. I talk about my frustrations. I talk about my view that religion was about what you did, not about what Christ had done for you. I talk about all those things because I know that's where most people live. Most people didn't grow up crippled. Most people didn't grow up disabled. Most people didn't grow up with a colostomy. Most people didn't grow up with the kinds of unique issues that I had in my life. But I can talk to them about where my heart was at because that's the same place that your friend hearts of that. Your story is the most powerful way to share your faith. It's not giving them a sermon I preached or Billy Graham preached. It's sharing your story because they can relate to you. They work with you. They live next to you. They play golf with you. They go to the same stores that you go to. They're your students or you're their teacher. And so when I talk to them, I talk to them about where I was at spiritually before receiving Jesus Christ. And then I tell them about the change when I gave my life to Jesus, the change, the peace, the confidence, the assurance, that sense of God's presence in my life that I was missing, that sense of God's peace that I was missing, that sense of God's power. And then I talk to them about it was perfect peace. It was His perfect presence. It was His perfect power manifested in my life. And then I talk to them about how God changed changed my life and what my life has been like since I gave my heart to Jesus. And if they're interested and they ask more questions, then I can begin to tell them some of the other incredible things that God has done for me. But generally, that only takes two to three minutes. It's what we teach you in Discovering My Story in Class 401, and it's what we teach you in Contagious Christian. We always ask you to think about if you've got a long elevator ride that you can share your story. If somebody asks you why, you can share your story. It recently happened to me at Wyandotte Hospital. I was going up to pray with someone. And as we were riding the elevator, somebody said, well, why are you smiling so big today? And I told them, well, Jesus Christ made a big difference in my life. One of two things usually happens. They go, oh. <laughs> or they go, really? And I go, really? And then I tell them, so we stepped off the elevator. I said, are you on this floor too? They says, no, but I want to know what kind of difference he made. So I talked with them right there. And then I said, can I pray for you? They didn't pray the prayer of faith for me, but I'll guarantee you this. God's word is powerful. God's Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. And somewhere I'm anticipating they're going to give their hearts to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Recognize the opportunity. 
So write your story down. Email it to me at pastor at woodland.church. The second thing I do that we've talked to you about many times is drawing the bridge. You can easily do this on a napkin. Because when somebody asks me this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Then I can tell them this illustration. It's easy, it's powerful, and you can do it. As a matter of fact, if you've got a room on your bulletin or if you've got room on your, uh, a piece of paper in your purse or your wallet, just simply get ready to do this because this illustration is one of the most powerful illustrations I know. Now, I love to get to do this because I have a captive audience. If I tried to do this on the street for tips, I'd go hungry. But this is the simplest thing to do. Can you see the screen? Can those of you in the middle, can you see? Okay, good. This is the simplest illustration, and just for the sake of time, because I'm running out of time, most of you that have been here before, you know typically I'll draw two uh, angles like that. But just for the sake of time, what I want to do is I just draw something like this, if I know of just really quick, and I tell them that all of us, all of us, there's this God-shaped vacuum in our heart. There's this God-shaped hole in our hearts. Every one of us have that. We know that there's more. People are very interested in spiritual things today. Recently, Time Magazine sales were going down. They slapped a picture of Jesus on the cover, hired somebody to write a story about Jesus, and their sales shot right through the roof. People still want to hear about Jesus in America, and I'm so grateful for that, aren't you? Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that. That's good news. We still have people... They want to hear. The problem is getting Christians to tell in their everyday lives. And so I just illustrate that this, this gap represents sin in our life. This is me, and this is God over here. We'll just put God, because we're not supposed to make any graven image. So just, but he's not a zero. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Now I feel better. So there's God. So I, I, I typically will just do this and and I will tell them there's this gulf between us and God because sin, don't make it complicated, sin is separation from God. Sin is what we chose as human beings to do. We rebelled against God. Sin, God says, go this way. We went that way. Sin says, God says, do this. And sin says, do this. And so in life, we chose to rebel against God because we thought we could find a better way than God's way. And so what happens is we miss that perfect peace, we miss that perfect presence, we miss that perfect power of God, and we end up somewhere in life, we've, we've got an education, we've got a job, we've got things, we've got friends, we've got families, but there's still this emptiness, this lack of peace, this lack of joy in our lives. It's what begins to happen is the fruit gets riper. The Holy Spirit is helping them to see there must be more than this. And then I talk about how religion, Christianity is not a religion, Christianity is a relationship, how religion is man's attempt to get to God. And so we start trying to build a bridge to God, maybe through good works, Maybe through giving money to the poor. Maybe through being kind. So we, we try to do good works, but we always feel like we can never be good enough. And that's because we can't be good enough. But when God saw us reaching out, God sent his son Jesus and he reached out to us. We can't reach God, but God can reach us. Let me say that again. We can't reach God, but God can reach us. No man comes to the Father except the Spirit of God draws him. So God sent his son Jesus Christ 
to die for our sins, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die at Calvary for our sins so that we could go to Him. God reached us through the cross. And friends, people get this. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about hell. You talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. So you can do this. Look at your neighbor and say, I can do this this morning. You can draw this bridge. Recently, yesterday, as a matter of fact, yesterday I was reading the Washington Post. Washington Post carried a study or carried an article about the amount of alcohol that Americans are consuming and why they're consuming so much alcohol. That led me to another study from the Washington Post article that was published by JAMA, the article, the, the Journal of Psychology, that says the rate of alcohol use and disorder or what's colloquially known as alcoholism rose by a shocking 49% in the first decade of the 2000s. One in eight Americans today, according to the Journal of, of American Psych Psychiatric Studies, one out of eight Americans is a functioning alcoholic today. Some people say it's even higher than that. The journal goes on to talk about how people are trying to find meaning, trying to, to inoculate themselves, trying to dull themselves. So what they're trying to do is to deaden the sense of pain in their lives. No bottle, no relationship, no drug, no toy, no money, no college, no career is ever going to satisfy in your life what Jesus has done. That's why the gospel is good news. You were made for God and God loves you so much. He wasn't willing to let you die your sins. He sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise for that this morning as well? The next thing I'd like you to look at is the do versus done. The do versus done, I think, is the answer to all the other religious faiths. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 with me. The Bible says, God saved you. Say that with me. God saved you. Say it again. God saved you. Circle that in your outline. That's in your outline. Just circle that. Highlight that. God saved you. You didn't have anything to do with it. You didn't have anything to do with saving yourself. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't bridge that gap. God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a what? A what? A gift from God. How do you get a gift? Someone gives it to you. I got $5. First person comes up here can have this $5. Anybody want $5? Come on, Devin. You're taking Emily out to lunch. Well, you need more than five. You do. And I love you. There's 20. All right? Now, wait a minute. God will always give you more than you bargained for. But let me tell you why other people didn't come, Devin. They weren't hungry. They got jobs. You got a job, but they got real good jobs, so finish college. <laughs> They've got retirement accounts. They're thinking, huh, there's no way I'm going to walk up there and get $5. They're also proud, cocky, and vain. <laughs> you see, that's why it's harder for the rich to get through the eye of the needle than it is for you to come and get $5, $20 this morning. Go. Give him a hand, all right? You see, religion teaches you you got to do things. God says, I saved you. It's a gift. 
And so what I want you to see, sometimes you don't have to draw a bridge. Sometimes you don't have to tell your story. But when somebody asks you the question, just basically tell them, religion says you got to do. I actually grew up in a church with those, some formative years where everything was about what you did. If you didn't do this, you weren't going to heaven. If you did that, you were going to hell. It was more about do's and, and what you did. It was legalism. But Christianity is about done. There's nothing I can do to save myself. God saved me. Say it with me again. God saved me. One more time. God saved me when I believed. You mean that's all? That's it. It's been done. It's been paid for. My sins have been counseled. I've been born again because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? This is good preaching. You may not recognize it, but this is good preaching. The next one I want you to see, and I'm exhausted, is the morality ladder. The morality ladder. Now you can see why I could never get paid to be an artist. Becky could do this so pretty. But the morality ladder. Recently a study was done of Americans, 80 something percent, I can't remember the exact, I should have copied it down, but over 80% of Americans believe they're going to heaven. Now, the story that I'm gonna tell you, I've told you before, but let me give you a little background to the story. I know the man who told the story. He heard Billy Graham tell the story. Billy Graham, was talking to someone sometime and they said they could never be good enough to go to heaven. And Billy Graham says, well, neither could I. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, if Mother Teresa was to put herself on the ladder, Mother Teresa would put herself probably somewhere right about here because of all the good and all the things that she's done. But Billy says, I would be way down here. Now, Mother Teresa never said this. This is what Billy was saying. He was just talking about what a wonderful woman Mother Teresa was. Billy says, I would put myself way down here on this ladder of good works. I was sharing this with the pastoral staff, the story and how I got it. Pastor Corey said, huh, if that's where Billy Graham is at, I'm way down here somewhere. <laughs> Most Americans, when they're asked, why are you going to heaven? They say, now remember, over 80% of Americans believe they're going to heaven. They say because they've been good enough. And when they take, when they were offered this ladder, they put themselves somewhere right along through here. And then they draw a line. Is that up there? Can you see that up on the screen? Then they draw a line, which means they're just good enough to get into heaven, but everybody else is going to hell. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm sorry this morning. <laughs> I mean, because they're way up here in the select few, but everybody else is going to hell. So Norma, look at Rick and say, honey, I'm sorry. Oh, you already did. <laughs> oh, you are a mean one. So, you, you see, we have this, this sense where it's about ourselves. But let me show you where the Bible says God draws the line. God draws the line here, and it's called perfection. It's called perfection. Be ye holy as I am holy. Be perfect like your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Friends, if that's how you get to heaven, I'm going to bust hell wide open. But that's why God sent Jesus Christ. 
For he took my sins and your sins upon himself that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For this was the purpose that God sent Jesus Christ into this world that he could become a sacrifice for our sins. He took our sins, your sins, my sins. He took our sins upon himself. He made the perfect sacrifice for, to God for us imperfect people that we might be born again and we are now adopted into his family and we cry out, Abba, Father, which means Daddy, God. Friends, it's not about morality. It is about the power of Jesus Christ to transform and change our lives. And when you share that with somebody and they put their faith in Jesus, you have not just made a difference for today. You have made a difference in their lives for eternity. You can do this in Jesus' name. Can we give another hand of praise to the Lord? <laughs> Hallelujah. And then the final thing that I want you to see this morning is your invitation. Just your invitation to stop like I did getting off the elevator and say, can we pray together? And if they're not ready, that's okay. But they've listened to you share your story. If they're not ready, don't ever close the door. Just simply say, I'm going to be praying for you. I know that God loves you. Give them an invitation to church. Father's Day is a wonderful time to go to church. I know you've heard this so many times, but look around you at our empty seats this morning. The reason people, more people aren't here is because we're not inviting. And I'm not being critical. I'm not chastising anybody. But I'm asking you, Take a chance. Reach out to your friends and to your neighbors and invite them to come to church with you. Last week, we had a first-time guest here who told one of our ladies in the church, says, you know, three people came up to me and just greeted me and says, I noticed that I've never seen you here before. This is who I am. And welcome them to come back again. You make a difference when you extend an invitation and when you welcome people. I want to be a difference maker in other people's lives. Don't you? Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. Now here's a verse I want you to memorize this week. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5. Read it out loud with me. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Let's read it again. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Stop. You're going to be wise. You're going to meditate upon this. You're going to have gracious conversation. There may be some political contentious issues to come up. Don't get involved. There may be some things that come up that are divisive. Don't get involved. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. The politicians that I've met, the people that I've met who've worked for the State Department that have some rank, they have what are called attachés. Attachés are the people that go with them wherever they go. You are an attaché for Jesus. The word attaché is where we get the word addicted from. I'm addicted to Jesus Christ this morning. I'm not addicted to Fox News, CNN News. I am addicted to Starbucks coffee. But that's another problem, okay? 
but we are addicted to Jesus. Can you say amen? So let your conversation be like Jesus. Let it be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Can we give him a hand of praise for that wisdom this morning? Hallelujah. Now, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we can do this. We can be spiritually prepared. We can be intellectually prepared. And Lord, we can be physically prepared right where you have us, whether it's in our jobs or our classrooms, at our neighborhood block party. Lord, when we're shopping, God, help us prepare ourselves. And would you give, especially to people like me, Lord, people who tend to be a little ADD and a little too focused, God, would you help us to recognize the opportunities that come our way? God, would you give us confidence in the story you have given us? Everybody's story here, Lord, is powerful. Everybody's story. Lord Jesus, would you help us to recognize this week and thank them, send them a card or a note, the people who made a difference in our lives. Jesus, I ask you to help us to have confidence because each of these illustrations God, illustrate the gospel. Lord, illustrations matter. You gave us the communion as an illustration. You gave us the cross to remember you by. Lord, for the Old Testament, you gave them the temple and the sacrifices. These little symbols are important. So help us to become masterful with them. When we draw the bridge, let it be good news. God, when we talk about do versus done, let there be a smile on our face. Our confidence is in Jesus. Lord, when we talk about this morality ladder, Lord, I'm like Pastor Corey. I'd be somewhere beneath the ladder. Jesus, help us to love the cross that you reached out to us. And when you rose again from the dead, you conquered sin. You conquered death. Your sacrifice made a way for us to God. And I thank you for that. Now, Lord, there may be people here this morning. They're not followers of you yet. And if that's you, I pray that you'll help them to consider their own story this morning. You're not a follower of Jesus only for one reason. Either because you didn't know or at this point in your life you've chosen not to. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to invite you to put your faith and trust in Him. You're not here by an accident. So I'm asking you, you know, you just heard Maybe not like Billy Graham, but you just heard. Would you cross that line this morning? Would you cross from death to life? Would you allow God to fill that God-shaped vacuum in your life? Would you welcome Jesus to bring you the perfect peace, the perfect presence, and the perfect power of God into your life? If so, 
just pray this quietly. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but just pray this quietly. Say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I'm that man, that woman, that young person. I've got this hole in my heart. My sins have separated me from you. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of every wrong thing I've ever done. And I thank you that you satisfied the debt. It's been done. And I put my faith and my trust in you as much as I know how. And I commit my whole life to you, Jesus. In your name I pray. While every head is bowed, can I be the first person you let know that? If you prayed that with me, would you lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus. God bless you. Yes, yes, ma'am. Somebody else. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus. Well, can we give the Lord a hand of praise for these two folks that have crossed the line this morning? If you want to know why we're clapping our hands, the Bible says that even the angels in heaven are rejoicing over what you just did. And Pastor Rick's going to tell you a little bit about a gift, and I want to send you a letter or an email tomorrow if you'll let me know so I can help you grow in your life. But for the rest of us and you too that just prayed with me, look at these next steps I'm asking you to do. And ushers, you can come on down this morning if you would. I want you to write your story. If you need help, if you'll email me at pastor at woodland.church. There's no .com necessary, as Christian says. Pastor at woodland.church. I'll email you a series of questions to help you think it through. And I promise you, I'll read your story. I'll reply to your story. But email me your story. The second thing is, I want us all to work on memorizing Colossians 4, 5 through 6. I'm going to ask you next week. We're going to say it together next week. I'm going to put the verse up. There's going to be some blank spots in it. And we're going to say it together next week. Then I want you to pray and just be prepared to share your faith at any time. Even if you can't remember any of these illustrations, just be prepared to share your faith. And then if you haven't been through Discovering Woodland yet, I want you to sign up either for 101 Discovering Woodland. If you've been through that, I want you to sign up for Discovering 201. Now, Pastor Rick told me something that was a little disturbing. He said, Pastor, there are people saying they want to take 401 with you. They've taken 101, but they don't want to take 201 and 301. We don't allow that. Let me tell you why. It's not because we're bossy. I've been accused of that. It's not because we're bossy. It's because I love you. It's because I'm your pastor. And I'll stand before the Lord one day and I'll give an account. You won't, I will. We want to teach you first how to study your Bible, how to read, how to pray, how to journal, how to meditate, how to, give, how to live as a Christian. That's what discovering spiritual maturity is all about. You put your faith in Jesus this morning, but what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you live like a Christian? And there's no better example of that in the whole wide world than Norma Sutherland. And she will walk you through that. And then in 301, Pastor Rick and Heinz Plowman will take you through how to discover the spiritual gift. Those of you that prayed with me this morning, boom. Go like that. Boom. 
Oh, come on. Go like this. Boom. Just like that, God gave you a spiritual gift. Now, you probably don't know what it is. But we're going to teach you how to discover your spiritual gift, what your personality is like, how God uses that, how to grow. We're going to teach you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want you to grow as a passionate follower of Christ and then discover the supernatural way God works in our lives. Then we'll get in to an at length study in 401 of how to share our story. I met with some wonderful folks last week. We had a blast doing this together. So that's why we ask you through that. Now let me give you two resources, if you'll put those up, that I think you would, uh, well, number one, get baptized. If you give your heart to Christ, those of you, check that box. We want to see you get baptized. But there are two resources. Our church twice has done Just Walk Across the Room. You can put that up by Bill Hybels. We'll do that again next year because it's just in a joint way we can all work together. But the most recent resource that I read and absolutely loved, you put the next one up, is Take the Unexpected Adventure, Taking Everyday Risk to Talk to People About Jesus by Lee Strobels and Mark Middleberg. It's an audio, it's in print, it's a Kindle book if you want to get it that way. I've read, hundreds, I've read thousands of books. This is one of the most enjoyable books I've ever read in my whole life about taking risks to talk to people about Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you buy this book and just let these guys encourage you about everyday opportunities, you'll suddenly see because of their transparencies with their children, their wives, just how God brings these opportunities in our life. I cannot recommend it highly enough. We don't sell it, so we're not making any money off of it. But you can go to Amazon or you can go to Barnes & Noble and Outer Drive. I wish we don't have a Christian bookstore anymore. That's a crying shame. We need one. But go and get this book and read it. Amen? God bless you. You may be seated.